Welcome to the Connection Period Podcast, a show inspired by the amazing educators who teach and inspire at Bremen High School District 228 in the south suburbs of Chicago. The goal of Connection Period is to shine a light on the awesome educators teaching in this district and to teach better by learning from each other. I'm your host, Ryan Blackwell. I'm starting my ninth year as a special education and language arts teacher, and I'm passionate about using EdTech and the four C's to amplify student voice. All right, welcome to episode two of the Connection Period podcast. Um, I went to ISD 18 earlier in the summer and completely nerded out, and I'm here with three of my colleagues who we've been just dying to hook up and talk about it. So we figured let's do an ISD recap pod for anyone who, who cares to listen. Um, I'm your host, Ryan Blackwell. To my left is somebody that I've been inspired by every single day, Sarah Bogard. <laughs> I'm Sarah Bogard. I am uh, beginning my 16th year teaching English at Bremen High School. I teach freshman extended intro and AP literature. And um, ISTE is absolutely one of the things that inspires me most in my day-to-day planning and thinking about what I'm going to do in my classroom when it comes to digital technology. I'm excited to talk about this. Hi, I'm uh, Mary Rose Burness, and I am a librarian tech coach at Bremen High School, and I was also extremely inspired by SD18 and continue to bring it back to our school and talk to teachers about uh, different, different technologies and just reaching students in uh, innovative ways. Hi, my name is Kelly Sala, and I'm also a media specialist, uh, tech coach at Bremen. And I had heard uh, so much about ISTE from my colleagues and heard that it was just phenomenal and was so excited that it was in Chicago. And um, yes, it was definitely worth all the hype. And um, I feel like we have some really great ideas to bring back to Bremen and specifically about um, the whole you know, tech coaching here in our district, which is um, a new thing really with our one-to-one initiative. And uh, we're gonna be moving forward with some great new ideas. All right, so like I said, we're glad that you can join us. Uh, for this episode, instead of like a straight up interview, we thought it'd be cool to just do like a round table teaching nerd discussion about um, three things that really fired us up from ISTE. So we're just gonna go rapid fire from all of us. We'll talk about our main takeaways from ISTE. We'll talk about a few practical things each of us plan to use this year from ISTE. And then the last thing that we're pretty pretty excited to talk about is what ignited us the most as educators, walking away from that conference and walking back into our, our classrooms that we'll be at every day for the next 186. So for the first question, um, our main takeaway from ISTE, Sarah, what, what do you think? What was um, yours? One of my big takeaways was came from one of the keynote speakers. His name's Michael Cohen. Um, and you can find him on Twitter at, at @techrabbi. Um, and his message was all about innovation and the way innovation works in the classrooms. And um, with innovation comes failure. And that resonated so strongly with me because ultimately our days are full of responses to failure. We open a lesson, it didn't work out, we adjust it before we get to our next time presenting that same lesson. And um, he gave a nice little acronym and his nice little picture for, uh, where failure stands for the first attempt in learning, F-A-I-L, and then um, the, the rest was unless reflection exists. And that really stuck with me because I remember my early years when I was all Google all the time before our district even went Google, my frustrations were through the roof. And I remember Mary sitting with you and Kelly in the INC and 
um, look at this, it won't work, and we worked all these workarounds, and we troubleshot, and the kids weren't patient, and I was frustrated, and so I just hung in this space of failure, feeling like it was a waste of my time and a waste of my students' time, and ultimately, um, it helped me grow as an educator, it helped me grow in my own patience and my response to these tricky moments, and it was really neat because my students saw me working in those moments, and perhaps I taught them something about working in tricky times when your tech doesn't work or when what you're trying to do doesn't work exactly as you want it to. Um, so though it's not a direct tech takeaway, um, the idea that we are all going to come up against something that's going to cause us to fail. And it might be small scale, it might be big, but it's all about our response. And if we reflect and we take a step back and go, okay, what can I do now that I've encountered this obstacle? I really think that that's something that resonated with me in a way that I'm going to bring to my students. and. Um, hope to remind myself of daily when I'm up against those tricky moments that I feel like I can't get past. So that's my main takeaway, hands down. Okay, <laughs> that was fantastic. And um, I'm going to kind of build on what she talked about with reflection. There was a speaker named uh, David Eagleman, and he was actually the keynote speaker. He spoke a lot about brain research. And I loved a couple of his quotes. One was, as humans, we cannot uh, just react, but we have the ability to think about our thoughts, which goes back to the whole reflection piece, and lean into the possibility and the future. So basically, we can create any future we want. And in this day and age, our students are lucky enough to have the technology in their hands, which allows them to reach out beyond the classroom and also to uh, you know if they are guided correctly by their teachers to collaborate and create and innovate um, projects where they're actually solving problems and learning in ways that weren't possible 10 years ago and I found his quotes to be inspirational but more than that all of his research to kind of support leaning into this idea where you are going to fail as you're learning something new especially if you're teaching using technology in a way that it's never been used before uh, and one of the biggest points he made is as a teacher our job is to challenge the brain to question everything and to get our students to question everything um, and he he just was very inspirational in the fact that he's looking at technology as a way for us to um, it's not just the device itself but basically we're trying to get our students to think in a way that you know it's not that these these ways of thinking weren't possible before but now as teachers we could guide them and have them uh, perform tasks that weren't possible 10 years ago and uh, of course building on what Sarah said there will be failure there will be failure in different aspects failure in possibly the technology itself or failure in the method but then we learn from that and build on that so that was my biggest takeaway thank you Mary um, one of the quotes that struck me and I, I guess Mary and I had a kind of a different focus going into ISTE we were um, looking into um, some practical um, suggestions for what our how our job has changed over the past few years into this whole ed coaching, this ed tech coaching that we're going to be um, embarking on, where we're going to give some one-to-one -one help to teachers in the classroom with technology. So we were kind of looking at ideas on how to go about that since um, we've kind of morphed into that position um, as librarians, media specialists, and tech people. 
Um, the quote that struck me was, ed tech uh, doesn't change how you teach, but how you reach. And I guess there's a couple ways to look at that. Um, you know, our, our teaching is still teaching, but um, there are a whole new, you know, new means of getting our message across. And um, we are going to be um, attempting to help um, with teachers with taking those risks, because we, we talked about, you know, failure is definitely a risk that you take um, when you're embarking on something new and learning from that. And um, we want to be there um, next to someone when they are trying those new things and trying to give the support um, as needed. Um, in their classrooms. Um, so we want to make sure that it's clear that we are going to be out to help um, every single uh, teacher in the building. We actually are going to uh, approach each person and say, hey, what is it that you're doing? Um, how can I help you? What can we add to this? How can we um, further this lesson and use some new technology? Maybe something you've never tried. Maybe something you tried and maybe you did have some failure with it. Um, so maybe we can kind of support you in that um, that endeavor. So um, we want to make sure that um, we are seen as someone who's just there to help, not someone who's there uh, to evaluate in any way, because um, we are still teachers, and um, we want to collaborate in those ways. And we've done this in um, many other um, types of lessons, be it research or the research paper or um, you know going through how to uh, document your resources, things like that. But this is a whole new spin for us to actually work one-on-one -on -one with technology. So it's doing it's it's reaching in that new way to um, access our you know uh, the new new lessons, whatever it is, whatever subject matter in uh, a technology new way. So you know, what I love about what what you guys are saying too is one of my biggest takeaways was something uh, I think. The rabbi, Michael Cohen, mentioned it. I think Eagleman mentioned it. I think probably dozens of conferences I went to at that place mentioned it was that the biggest thing that gets in the way of trying new things and being afraid of failure isn't like being afraid to fail, but it's self-doubt. Yeah. It's like the self-doubt that creeps in that prevents you from trying that because it's like, ah, well, what if I can't do it? And um, I know that that was my biggest takeaway is trying to find ways to eliminate self-doubt. If I would have tried the project like this last year, I definitely would not have done it because I'm like, ah, I'll probably screw it up or I sound stupid or, um, but going to ISTE really like opened my eyes to different educators who are just, who have gotten past that and it inspired me because it's all things that I'm super interested in. And when you think of, all right, if this is something as adults, we have all this self-doubt for various reasons, like what must that be like for a kid? You know, a kid who's coming into your class that, um, has no idea how to construct a sentence or cannot even decode the words in your syllabus. Like, at what point does self-doubt just take over and the apathy kicks in? Um, but Mary, like one thing from Eagleman's keynote too was he he went on this whole um, data-driven <laughs> graph session where he was talking about how the digital natives that we teach, their eyes literally move differently than how we do. And it's because of the screens, it's because of the fast information. And it's like when you see this guy who studied the brain his entire life show you exactly how our kids are looking at what we put out there. It, it was, I mean, not to get punny, but it was eye-opening <laughs> because, like, you just, you don't always think about that when you're designing a lesson or when you're thinking about the readability of a text or setting up any kind of resource. You don't think about how a digital native is going to look at that and is going to be used to 140-character um, small digest of information or YouTube videos and like I'm up there talking for 15 minutes about a topic that's 
not engaging, you know? So like, what, how can we teach in a way that's gonna be more engaging for these digital natives, given that their brains are wired differently? And that stuck with me big time. Um, one of the things I, I wrote here is learning is changing and we need to change with it. Um, we aren't teaching in the classrooms we were taught in and that was um, something that Eagleman shared also. And when you sit back and you think about the classroom you were in, our kids are in the same classrooms per se. There are desks, there are teachers in the front, there are boards, but they have these tools that are hardwiring their brains differently and research is showing that. And so it's really um, something that is in my head. What did I do as a student in this moment at that time? And now what can I do to transform that to hit them where they sit? Um, and that is something that I completely agree with you guys on because we, ha we have an obligation at this point to change in a different fashion. I don't think, or sorry, to teach in a different fashion. I don't think we can do the same things that we did when we were students because our learners are in completely different places. Yeah, and to kind of add to that, um, he also mentioned how the brain of digital natives, Ryan, uh, they are different and we need to kind of work on teaching cognitive elasticity and the whole idea that basically, you know, when we're teaching, as Sarah said, you know, we need to learn how to teach differently, but the whole idea that now, um, really the future belongs to the elastic mind, to the, to the mind that's willing to keep changing and developing and growing, and so we as teachers have to keep changing and developing and growing um, which will also sometimes lead to some of that self-doubt that you talked about. Can I do this? Can I carry this out? But in the same respect, it will also lead us, like you said, to do something really creative and awesome like this podcast and just jump in with two feet and see how it goes. So Mary, with brain elasticity, are you telling me that we need to stretch our brains? <laughs> Basically, yes. <laughs> Stretch them out real good. <laughs> so I guess uh, you, both of you, Kelly and Mary, talked about the, the coaching model that you're kind of sliding into this year. Mm -hmm. I guess from a teaching perspective, I'm wondering, like, what would that look like? I mean, I have, I'm completely comfortable saying, hey, let's, let's collaborate on this. But maybe for a teacher that doesn't quite know where to start or doesn't quite know how to utilize that coaching like where, where what's some good advice from you guys on where to start to make that happen well we're we're going to start it for everyone we're going to uh, go ahead and contact everyone through email and offer a sit-down session just to chit chat like we are right now talk about something that you want Probably to try record it in the classroom <laughs> <laughs> we will not record it <laughs> for a podcast <laughs> Um, and then we'll take it from there. You know, it will, you know, for some people, I think it might be related to a big project. For some people, it might just be this one lesson where they want to try uh, using Notability, you know, one app. So I think it's just going to matter. We want to meet every teacher where they're at mm -hmm. with their technology use and hopefully build upon that, upon their strengths, and try some new things, like we said here. Um, the statistic on it is that... Uh, Coaching is now the most really effective form of uh, professional development, and uh, I believe the statistic points to the fact that it's like 99% effective. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, I mean, and we've all been in classes and um, you know where you're learning some new technology, and it seems um, really exciting, and 
you feel like you're gonna jump right in and then you know maybe you don't get to use it right away or maybe you do this summer workshop and then by the time you come back to school maybe it's not as fresh but we've all been in that situation where it's it seems like it's right there but then when you're in the classroom you're like you're still unsure again that fear of failure and um, we want to make sure it's more you know like this support like we're right there we're right with you so I think that's the big you know impetus for getting you know this going is to really be there even if it's baby steps if it's something like you've just never you've never had an iPad in your classroom there are really teachers who have not had the opportunity to teach with an iPad yet in the school because maybe they had seniors and the seniors didn't have the iPads the first couple of years whatever it might be so there are people just starting out and we want to make sure that that's clear that like it doesn't matter it doesn't matter where you're at if it is those baby steps just getting the iPad in your hands for the first time and actually addressing your class or if it's something a little more advanced like maybe this iPad thing is nothing new to you and you've been you know notability everything and everything online for years but maybe there's something big and new that you'd like to try well we'll try it with you so getting that comfortable level I think yeah that's cool mm -hmm. and just the personalized PD one-on-one -on -one, it's mm -hmm. like like that's kind of why we're sitting here you know like that's right. um, what's made the most impact on me I know I remember sitting next to Sarah and she just talked about Google Classroom and <laughs> inspired me to jump in because that was something new and scary and it's taken off from there like once you dive in it's like all right boom there it goes once you play around and learn and that's a good play around and learn if you're interested mm -hmm. go find it and go see what's out there and the best thing you can do is troubleshoot it for yourself and figure out if you are approaching it in the right way and if not fail respond adjust and contact those who you might need some feedback from so um, I love it just jump in and try and Ryan I think one of the things that is interesting about um, colleagues who are tech nerds <laughs> is that we're always willing to share and always willing to talk to people about it um, and I don't think you'll ever hurt anybody's feelings if you say, hey, can you tell me more about? And that's one of the things that I would love to have everybody do a bit more of. And so for Kelly, what you're doing, Kelly and Mary, you might have some really um, uncertain and reserved people who might not know that the help is there. But you guys, the best part about what I gained from ISTE in terms of the peer or the one-to-one -one coaching is that you guys are like out there and willing and waiting for people mm -hmm. to say, hey, how do I? And that I think is really neat. I think um, like there's kind of no better segue to move on to our second question here when we're talking about all these kind of theories, takeaways, but now it comes down to uh, how do we actually get in the classroom and implement this? How do we use you for help? So um, let's move on to our second question is what are some takeaways of some practical things we can go tomorrow on day one with everybody and actually, and actually do? Like what are our goals in the classroom? Well, I'll start. I don't know that it's a do tomorrow type of thing, but for me, it's more of a mindset. Um, there, Ryan and I were lucky enough to meet a woman named Alice Keeler at ISTE, and she actually huge fanboy. Yeah, we are. Okay. Yeah, I got a nice that photo awesome. of Ryan, yeah. uh, charming Alice. That's <laughs> great. In my Yoda shirt. Yeah, ask him all about it. Um, but you know, the thing that I like so much about Alice Keeler is I found her early in my ed tech um, endeavors, and uh, she's got all sorts of stuff out there, you know, 50 ways to use Google Classroom, and I think that's where my love of Google was born because it gave me a launching pad for my Google stuff, and that's what I was missing. So using that as a learning management tool was really valuable for me. But um, So when we met Alice, we got a book from her, an autographed book, uh, called Ditch That Homework. And 
I was not fortunate enough to actually attend a panel that she presented on, but the book is really interesting because the whole idea is that you have to kind of sit back and take a look at your homework. You have to consider what kind of return you get on your homework. And it's not just like how many kids truly return your homework, it's how much learning is happening via that homework. And so um, I've never been a do your homework, turn it in tomorrow kind of a teacher because it's just not practical for a lot of our students. But what um, the, there's an acronym with DITCH that I really like. Um, so it's rather than just DITCH throw homework away, perhaps you can make homework different, innovative, tech-laden, creative, or hands-on. And so, I mean, there's a ton with that. But in terms of my practical use and the way that I'm going to put it in my classroom right away, um, I just want to see if what I'm sending my students home with to do for homework is really the best use of their time, the best use of my time, and when it comes back, does it really enhance our learning? So I'm going to be reflective. I am going to, in some capacity, try to um, totally flip the way I do homework on its heels. So um, one of the things that came from this book is the idea that timely feedback beats slow yet detailed feedback, and that for me is mind-blowing because I'm an AP Lit teacher and I want to hold all the papers and I want to write all the feedback and then I'd rather give the whole set of papers back to 30 plus kids per period at the end of the day all in the same day. And so that's really I think going to be a way that I adjust my approach. I might do alphabetical windows. Here's the alphabet A to whatever and here are your papers back. Or I might give less detailed feedback in the interest of time so that it becomes more timely and relevant. Um, so that's one of the things I'm going to do in terms of like something I plan to use right away. And um, one of the things that I think is interesting from Keeler is that she also says that parents want a window into the classroom. And so one of the tools that I want to explore this year is something called Seesaw, S-E-E-S-A-W. And it's a digital portfolio that teachers can run and invite parents to, similar to classroom, where parents get feedback on you know, students missing assignments. But what I want to do is let this be a showcase for students' finished work, completed best projects, and it's going to be their um, kind of a brag board or you know, the way that I mean, we don't send papers home anymore. A parent can't put a kid's paper on the fridge per se. I mean, there's always the quizzes and tests that do come home. But um, ultimately what's neat is the parents have a login along with the students that sort of runs like an Instagram feed for the parents to respond to and write comments and the teachers in the class can interact with that. So in terms of you know, what I'm going to implement in week one, I think we're going to get going on Seesaw and see how that works. And I'm going to work really hard to consider the value of my homework. Am I doing homework for homework's sake? Which I know at this point I'm not. But I also want to think that that homework which I am sending home, I want to really consider its relevance and consider um, is it the best use of all of our time. I'm a parent, I've got two kids, one who loves homework, one who loathes it, and um, I don't know that the one who loves homework is really gaining anything intellectually or academically from her homework other than a bit of stress. So um, it's kind of what I'm looking at this year and that was all given to me via ISTE and I can't wait to let you know at some point how it's working for me. I think with the with what you're talking about with Matt Miller and Alice Keeler with Dish That Homework too, I saw a graphic floating around online where pretty much if you can ask yourself these three questions about homework, go ahead and give it. But if you can't have a good answer, don't. So the three questions are, does your homework increase a student's love of learning? Does it significantly increase learning? And if students didn't have to do it, would they want to do it anyway? So like, if the answer to those is yes, then go ahead and give it and like we could talk for hours about what would fit into that category and what wouldn't. But like just 
having those three things to wrap your mind around when you're thinking about to, whether or not to assign homework was uh, it's pretty interesting because there's a lot of things I've given in my career that do not fit those categories. <laughs> yeah, that's a tough criteria. Yeah, yeah that's, it yeah. really is. It's making me think right now. It yeah. really is. I mean, we talk about, like, does it increase the love of learning? Ooh, that's a tough one. And there's some things in my classroom that I do <laughs> not homework that probably doesn't increase the love of learning. So it's just like it makes you question what you do, and I think that's how you grow. Uh, so that's part of why it was so cool for me too. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna I'm gonna be done talking in a minute about this, but um, one of the things that I think you know does it would they do it anyway? I think that points to authenticity, and I think that's what a lot of technology lets us do. Um, or the, like the technology is just the avenue into the kid and into the way that they can learn. Um, and so when the learning is a bit more authentic, rather than fill out this worksheet, or um, you know. I, don't, I guess I don't have a real relevant of um, homework that isn't really worth doing at this point. But it, if the kid really finds it valuable to them, then I think that's when we're doing things right. And so that's one of the things I want is, is it authentic? And I love that last point, Ryan, would they do it anyway? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the kid who carries a book class to class and reads in between periods because they love reading so much, mm-hmm. that kid's a unique kid, I think, sometimes. Mm-hmm. We don't have as many of them as we used to, or maybe we do and they're doing other things with their passions, but would they do it anyway is really neat, and I think it would point to an authentic learning experience because they'd enjoy it. And again, Sarah, I'm gonna. It's it's the strangest thing. I'm just going to go with your word as you as we. I'm leading into the one-to-one coaching, the authentic learning. I think that is one thing I pulled out of this, and why I'm really excited about working with all of our teachers and coaching them. Because um, again, one of the statistics points to the fact that teachers, it is an authentic learning experience for teachers because it's so personalized. Because you're in their classroom, you're working on lessons with them that our lessons they're going to teach to their students anyway um, and there's a nice little formula that Jenny Majira and her team kind of laid out for everyone and one of them is just to go in and talk about their experiences using technology what's the good what's the bad what's the ugly uh, tell us you know just the, sit. the grape jam exactly okay, we're going to do a grape jam we're going mm-hmm. to just hang get out, out. Awesome. yeah get it all out and uh, you know tell us what's happening here and then go ahead and investigate some strategies, find some innovative solutions. You know, we want to change things up. We want to grow as educators, and we also, of course, want our students to grow and make it authentic learning for them. Also, you know, have them be at that space where they're doing it for the love of learning because it really excites them or ignites them, just like we were excited and ignited at ISTE. <laughs> so, um, and then, kind of selecting a personalized strategy you know meeting with that teacher having some drop-in visits talking to them about a strategy really the meat and potatoes there is what exactly are we going to do and why are we doing it and how does this help our students have that authentic learning experience how does this help us grow as teachers where we're not doing the same thing we did last year at this time and then, of course, there's the implementation, and I think that's where our role as the coach will be very critical. Uh, our role will be there to help the teacher feel comfortable. Now, the two people sitting here, Sarah and Ryan, I think they pretty much always feel comfortable trying some new technology. Uh, and I think some people will not feel as comfortable, and I think that's where the coaching really could help out. And then finally, for, for both of us, there's reflection piece. You know, there's the reflection piece, of course, for the teacher, 
uh, how how was the teaching how did the students you know seem to respond to this but also as the coach like did did we help you <laughs> and if we didn't why not what can we do better how can we change our approach next time uh, and so it's it's a process and it's something that I think uh, everyone has to grow comfortable with but I know every media specialist is really excited about participating in this yeah we I mean we see the fringe of the amazing things you do already and um, we just want to be there to kind of push that forward I guess with everyone you know, and even if it is, like I said, somebody who has never even had the iPad and used it in the classroom, it might just be starting there. And I think it's, you know, just moving forward in a positive way and getting all the kids on board. And I mean, every kid's going to have an iPad this year. It's That's awesome. pretty amazing. Yeah, we're finally there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah this Four is it. Four years in the making. We got to tell the freshman that today. Yeah. He's like, you yeah. guys, class is, you know, it's my time to do It's coming up. 2022. All of them have it. So it was exciting. And yeah. Yeah, I think too uh, that that Google Infused cohort was a great start last year too because I mean Holly Clark she's one of the leaders in using Google tools and I like that you guys picked Jenny Majera this year too because I just I discovered her at ISTE and she runs the like the Student Voice Foundation which has the Global Student Voice Film Fest which I sat in on um, but she's doing that again um, it's the second time she's running it I know that Mike, Mike, a lot of Mike Lynch's kids submitted films I'm going to be gearing a lot of my projects towards having submissions for that film festival but like when you guys talk about you like all four of our classes have iPads now like in my so like my practical strategies whatever you want to call them um, I, like I was just so awakened or, or woke as the kids say um, <laughs> woke. to like the four C's you know like I used to think alright I gotta teach standard one seven and eight and you still need to do that I gotta make sure these kids get on Khan Academy you don't have to do that but like the kids aren't engaged on that um but when it comes, like, there's, what am I trying to say? There's kids that are scoring very well on the SAT who can't collaborate, critical think, communicate, or create. And that's something that employers are saying that we need. And for me, like, seeing all of these different uses of technology that are getting kids to communicate with each other, collaborate with each other on projects, solve problems in thinking critically, creating an end product, like, that's what's going to set our kids apart from other kids in the world you can't always measure that with a test, you know what I mean? So I feel like these four C's, if I, I wanna focus on these and how technology can get my kids to hone these skills, and I feel like the rest might take care of itself. But like when it comes to teaching, I'm kinda of like the feather from the movie Forrest Gump. I'm just kinda of floating <laughs> from place to place and landing and trying this, you know. Um, but, but really quick before you yeah. move away from the four C's, you might find the kids who are naturally collaborative, creative, and all of that are then going to increase their scores by being engaged in the tasks that you're mm -hmm. offering them. So conversely, you are in many ways helping both sets of kids by help having that be part of your classroom. Because I think um, very early as a teacher, I was like, Ugh, who needs to collaborate? Group work <laughs> is fine, but you know, you need to have the skill and you need to know how to do this. But then the more I let go and the more I let the kids collaborate and create and do the things they wanted to do and read, heaven forbid, the things they chose mm -hmm. to read, um, the, the more I saw them grow and develop in ways beyond just the standardized tests and the you know, multiple choice things we give them at the end of the year. So I think that you're doing a service to both sets of kids, those who maybe are maybe very reluctant and need a teacher who says, here, this is what we're doing today. Show me how you can create and collaborate. Yeah, it's tough to, like, it's still tough for me to relinquish complete control just because, like, you just never know 
what it's going to look like. Like we feel so secure just up in the front of the class sometimes that it's hard to, all right, this is fine. Kids are, kids are listening to music, but they're thinking, they're talking. This is fine. And Somebody then, walks in, it's fine. And that's it. You, wait, you hope that the administrator doesn't walk in. Like, you know learning's happening, but the administrator, do they? Are they on the same page as me? Have they been to ISTE? Like, you need to help that, you need to help that um, everybody's starting to realize the classroom looks different. The classroom doesn't look mm-hmm. the same in every teacher's space. And um, I keep a pretty quiet classroom, but still there's a buzz to it. And, you know, the version of me from 15 years ago, first year teacher, like, shh, don't talk. And it's like, wait a minute, like, learning happens when you lean over and talk to your peer. And so I think you're right, like, the classroom looks different. And when that person who is the, um, you know, who isn't there often comes in, you're like, man, does this look like a learning space? And, and in truth, it probably is. And it's different in every teacher's, inst- in every teacher's case. Yeah, I don't think it could always look like that either. Because there's a time when that's beneficial, but there's a time when you know, I, I feel like I have to hold court for 15 minutes, talk about this, teach them this, then let's go practice, mm-hmm. you know? And um, for me, I think, like, just taking little steps at a time and getting comfortable with it. So, like, I'm huge on movies, as you know. So, like, how do I, and as I learned a lot from Mike Lynch with doing things like this, too, but how do I get my kids to collaborate on making a short film that demonstrates their knowledge of this content instead of, trying to fit a what is a round peg in a square hole where these kids struggle with writing struggle with reading but they can really show their knowledge with speaking or with being creative so for me like bringing in student choice projects and making sure that they align to whatever I'm trying to teach has really opened my world and led to some really meaningful work for students um, so as far as practical stuff like I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a, a shout out to book snaps which is using snapchat to annotate texts which I think that anyone can use I mean Andy French, if you're listening, there's something called food snaps. I know Andy's not listening. <laughs> but uh, like in, in the classroom, you can show your knowledge on an exit ticket by Snapchatting. Or even in math, if you see a mathematical concept in the real world, boom, snap it and send it in just to make it a little bit more like you guys were talking about, authentic, instead of just a worksheet. Um, I think stuff like that is super cool. Using Flipgrid to... Have kids record. Flipgrid, di- I love. Flipgrid. Yeah, just video exit tickets or video introductions or video book reviews or whatever it is um, are things I'm going to try to slowly implement in the first month of school. I like how you brought up the classroom looking very different, and um, same with our space out here. Um, look how much the library has changed mm-hmm. in just in just the last ten years. I mean, it's it's a totally different place. It's a totally different working environment for kids so a different way of thinking a different way of behaving um and it just shows that whole progress and you have a big screen in there (laughs) (laughs) and it's not quiet it's not the librarians going all day i mean it's still a little bit different yeah. yeah So, um, not these two libraries. Well, not these two. Oh, no. I think Mary Burnus might be the loudest librarian I know. <laughs> yeah, we talked about I'm that. I would put that on record right there. You're the last from just down oh, in the middle. Totally. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Keeping it live, yep. <laughs> um, so, I guess to, to kind of wrap up the pod, uh, I went to um, the couple is to ignite sessions and I was like well what's this we're gonna light stuff on fire that would be awesome um but like it was kind of metaphorically that what it was is they had rapid fire one hour um probably a bunch of speakers that had five minute blocks 
that each came out and just gave a five minute inspirational TED talk about something they were passionate about. And boom, once you had time to process that, here comes the next one. Wow, I'm inspired again. So I thought it would be cool to kind of go around and talk about what ignited us the most from the con- from the conference because I left feeling fired up and I'm still pretty fired up. Hopefully that doesn't die down. Yeah, right. Soon, well, we have to do things like this to keep it rolling. Yeah. So um, I guess, Sarah, you'll start, okay, you'll start us off perfect. again, Sarah. Sounds perfect. Um, so if you have paid attention to me the last year, um, I started something called T-Shirt Tuesdays where... I would wear a t-shirt that is interesting to me, inspiring to me, gives me an opportunity to have a conversation with my students. I wear all sorts of t-shirts. I, they learn a lot about me, we have conversations. And the t-shirt I bought from ISTE says, it takes a village, I found mine at ISTE. And personally, that is um, absolutely the thing that ignites me most. And ISTE is the International Society for Technology Educators, international, and that to me is awesome. And we all are part of this strange ed tech world where we are trying and failing and adjusting continuously. And what I like so much is this idea that there is a limitless amount of support out there. If you are just starting, just like Kelly and Mary have said, there are people to help you and there are other people who are just starting. If you are in the thick of it and you are constantly like running up against these trouble, these problems, there are people out there to troubleshoot it with you. If you think technology is old hat and you're like, oh my gosh, that again? I can teach anybody how to do that. There are people just like you out there and there are people who need you out there. And so um, I think it's interesting because one of the things I think we overlook is the support in our buildings. We have media specialists, we have colleagues who do these awesome things. We have colleagues who do awesome things and don't say a word about it. And all of a sudden, students are like, oh, I'm doing this in so-and-so's class. And you're like, come on, get out of here. They could have taught me instead of me going out there and learning it myself. And so one of the things that's awesome to me is how much good is happening in our building, in our district. And not only that, but if you don't just stop looking at your school, your school building and the school walls, there's digital spaces that are out there to support you. I know, Mary, you are on Twitter, and Ryan, you're on Twitter. Sala, I'm not mm-hmm, sure. Yeah, Twitter well. here and there. Um, but I know you and I were talking about building PLNs ages ago, and that's how I found Alice Keeler and via Twitter. And, you know, this digital professional learning network is really something that is exciting to me because there's always an answer. If I feel like nobody at Bremen High School has it, which I'm probably wrong because there's a lot of people who can help me out, there's so many opportunities to have your support. And so that for me is my major takeaway. Bring others into your classroom, ask them for support, ask them for input. If you need help and want to know more, ask them about it. And that's what's neat. You want to learn more about ISTE, Ryan Kelly, Mary and I were at ISTE, go search hashtag ISTE2018 and you will find all the things we learned about, but just in a different space and different format. So I think that's the thing that I like the most is that there are so many other people like us, big tech nerds, who want to just make learning more interesting and valuable and authentic to our students. And um, there's a ton of help, support, research out there, and you just need to go find it and make it part of your everyday because it's ready to support you in any way you need it. All right. Amen. Um, and to, to build on that, you know, as, as teachers are helping teachers, one of uh, the biggest takeaways, you know, Sarah talked about all the help that we have in our building, and I think one of the biggest supports are just the teachers helping teachers. I, can, I, can, I can't talk enough about that. Running the Google-infused cohort last year, uh, the teachers that came in, and each session was different, 
and I felt like the bigger the session, the better it was, just because teachers, you know, we'd get a little off track, maybe sometimes a little off topic, but people would just stand up and demonstrate to somebody in the room what they're doing in their classrooms. And we received so much feedback from that at the end of the school year last year, where the teachers said that was definitely the best part. Not, you know, of course they appreciated Kelly and I organizing it, and we we just feel like we were just facilitators. Um, sure, we have some to offer. Uh, we've both gone to many, many ed tech conferences, but it's the teachers building help and support within their own groups. And oftentimes I found uh, even coaching someone or talk, it's the conversations we're all having, just like this conversation, and teachers reaching out to other teachers or uh, even the media specialists talking uh, to each other, those conversations ignite ideas, and that's how we build these PLNs, even if they're informal. Um, and finally, I'm going to end with you know the whole idea of Twitter. I gosh, I joined Twitter back in like 2009, I think it was, and it is one of the best professional learning experiences that. Um, that I've had in my entire career because um, as Sarah pointed out, you reach way beyond the walls of, of just this district, right? And that is how I learned about Holly Clark and Jenny Majera. And you know, now we're having Google Hangouts with these ed tech gurus and it's awesome. And they're rock stars. They're they like are rock stars. People I line mean, up and take pictures and get autographs. And <laughs> so here you're bringing them into our space via your digital connections. That's Correct. so cool. Yeah, it's it's just really, you know, talk about being an ed tech nerd. I'm just <laughs> super excited. You should see me talk to our faculty about uh, the new book we have, Courageous Adventures, by the keynote, you know, speaker from ISTE. So um, we're, we're just super excited about that, but mostly, like, we love that we have this group of teachers here and across the district that are just so willing to embrace it and help each other. Uh, throughout the whole growth period and uh, increasing our cognitive elasticity. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah, Mary's always telling me who I should be following on Twitter, which I do take her suggestions. I'm not just following like Rob Lowe and Sean Cassidy, but um, I do try to keep up and then I do recognize her new friends, you know, Jenny Majera and Holly Clark. I'm like, oh, the best friends. I know these people through Mary. So, um, yeah, and about that cohort last year, um, I actually looked forward to it. Um, and it, like Mary said, it was it was different every half hour of the day. There there weren't two half hours that were the same in one day. It was that different. It was just different people bringing different ideas, and um, we we don't even realize what people have. That's the thing. We don't because we're not in the classroom with you. But everybody's in their own little area, and unless we do that sharing, I mean, there's just a wealth of you know information and skills and insights that we wouldn't have without all that sharing so we'll be fostering that again with the new cohort and um, yeah we'll be popping in and really be out there um, there was a quote someone at as he said something about librarians have this unique position where they can touch every student and every other teacher so um, that's really gonna be my focus this year is really getting out there and, and you know seeing those teachers seeing what they do and I'm gonna be learning from them as well and sharing it with other teachers so I think there's gonna be a lot of growth there what you just said reminded me that I met a, a middle school librarian from Texas um, at some session. It was that podcasting session that we were at. Mm -hmm. And yeah. mm -hmm. like she was asked, I was asking how their IMC worked. She was asking about ours. I was kind of describing what you guys were doing here with the cohort, with um, just everything that goes on in the IMC. And she was like, oh my goodness, 
that's where I want to get to. And she was just blown away by, um, not progressive, that's the wrong word, but how far advanced we were in that model. And she's like, coming in, I've had to change a lot of things at my library in Texas, and she was really uh, inspired by what she heard. That's great. Assessment to you two. Why, Ra- thank you, Ryan. Local <laughs> Bremen rock stars. Yes. Um, yes, talking about Twitter, and yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I... I created a teacher Twitter because I saw Mrs. Bogart tweets once and I was like, that's cool. What's, what's, what the hell is that? Awesome. <laughs> so, yeah. So I, awesome. I hopped on and I'm like, all right, I don't quite know who to follow. And then you figure it out. And yeah, I mean, you guys are right. There's no other place where you can just learn so much because it's a constant conversation about something you're passionate about and you're constantly learning and gaining new perspectives from different people. And I think I, one person I followed on Twitter, her name's Pernille Rip. She does, she's the founder of the Global Read Aloud, um, which is something that she connects global classrooms and everybody does the same, reads the same book, and then you're connected via Mystery Skypes or Flipgrid Pals, and you just connect with different students that are reading the same book, and it just gives so many perspectives. Um, she's done a lot of things with like literacy and written a bunch of books. She was the final speaker at the ISTE Ignite session I went to. And this is like an hour, she comes up, a lot of people are walking out of the room, and then she starts talking, and everybody's like, just pauses, because she was so engaging. She started out telling a story about how she was getting pulled over by the cops. <laughs> and she was talking about how she was worried that she didn't have her green card um, in, her, in her glove, and she was worried that since she was an immigrant, she's gonna ask for that, the, the police officer, and. Who knows? She's like, my green card's at home, my family's at home, I'm worried, I'm nervous. Cop asked for license, registration, she hands it to him, no question to ask. But then she's like, well, like, why is that? It's because I am blonde hair, blue eyes, Caucasian. She's from Denmark, she came over here when she was like 18 or 19, learned the language, and like lives in Wisconsin. But then her whole point was that like, even though she's an immigrant, she has this privilege that other immigrants or other students who aren't even immigrants do not have. So I, I, I pulled up some of her quotes because uh, her whole speech is on Periscope. You can go watch it, and the text is here. But she said that we as teachers, we're on the front lines of writing the future narrative of this country, of this world, ugliness and all. We are the gatekeepers of truth. So what truth are we bringing into our classrooms? Um, that with technology, we can create an environment where our students can discover their own opinions, where they can explore the world, even when it's ugly, so that they can decide which side of the history that they want to fall on. And then she asked us to look at the power of the tools we have at our disposal. Look at what we can do with a camera, with a computer, with your voice and your connections. Look at whose voices are missing in your classroom. Look at who's, who your students need to meet so they can change their ideas of others. We say we teach all children, but do we teach all stories? Do we teach the whole truth? or just the sanitized version that won't ruffle any feathers. And she said, what if the next time a child made a statement that divided the class rather than united them, instead of scolding them, sending them to the office, writing a detention, what if we used a camera, a microphone, and others as a way to start a conversation? What kind of world would we be? What kind of history would we write? And I'm just like, I'm getting goosebumps Uh just thinking about that speech, and it's just like, I, I, I sat there for another 10 minutes just thinking about like how important our job is. Um, and it just goes beyond the content. Uh, and it, like what you said about we're, write, we're on the front lines of writing the history of our country. Like how are we gonna model for our kids how to deal with racism? How are we gonna model for our kids 
how to deal with and navigate the digital world and the political climate we have. How are we gonna just motivate our kids? And it got me thinking about the kids at Bremen and our communities and it just really, really hit home. I don't have an answer, I don't think anyone does, but I know that I wanna to try to use technology to like make my classroom feel a little bit less like it just is four walls at Bremen and more like, wow, we're connected to different, different viewpoints, different perspectives in the world. And yeah, I, I would recommend if you're on Twitter, follow Perneal Rip. Um, if you're not, get on Twitter and just follow her and soak it all in because she blogs. Uh, she does a lot of work with literacy and yeah, this is something that really, I didn't need any renewing but for my passion for being a teacher, but it really renewed my purpose of what I do in the room. And I'm still reeling from it. So if you have ideas, let's figure it out. So that concludes our ISTE recap, recap uh, roundtable powwow. Um, thank you so much for listening. It means a lot to us. We, we enjoyed sitting around the collab lab table and just talking it out. Uh, if you need to get in contact with any of us, Sarah Bogues, how do we do that? You can find me on Twitter at, at Mrs. Bogart Tweets. And I'm going to take this moment to share the fact that my goal for this year is to be a presenter at ISTE 2019 in Philadelphia. So I've got my I don't know what I want to present. I don't know what I have to offer at this point via uh, submission. But um, I know one of our speakers, one of the keynote speakers actually said, um, all of her proposals had been rejected the previous year, so doesn't mean I'll be accepted, but I'm sure going to shoot high and work towards that. So, if you guys have any ideas, send them my way. Nice. And I'll just conclude with giving you my uh, Twitter handle. It's at mroseb. And thanks a lot for listening. We really appreciate it. I'll give you my Twitter handle. Um, it's very basic at Kelly Sala one. <laughs> <laughs> And um, I don't say much. I but was following I do, Kelly uh, Sella too the whole time. Oh, see, there you go. I had so much to offer. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and I'm Ryan Blackwell. You can follow me or not at our Blackwell two two eight. You can also find episode one of the Connection Period podcast at anchor.fm slash connection period. Um, thanks for listening, and we hope this ignites you. <laughs>